Hi, Paul. How are you, Luke? Uh, very good. How are you? Very well, thank you, mate. That's great. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Um, just uh, reaching out to lots of different people that have involved, you know, been involved with City over the years. Sure. Um, some some get back and some get, some don't, and I understand the reasons for that. But I'm really grateful for you to spend a bit of time just chatting chatting about about the club that obviously I support and you had a big part to play in. So, um, that's a pleasure, mate. Um, all I was going to do was just basically go through just your time at City um, and start right from the beginning when you bought the club and then maybe move on to, once we've talked about your time there, about more of the current situation. I was just wondering about, um, you know, coronavirus lockdown and things, if you had any opinions on that. So does that sound all right? Totally, yeah. I'm happy to talk about anything, Luke, no problem. Great stuff. Thank you very much. Um, so um, just, just going back to the beginning at your time at City... Um, yes. So you were there from 2007 to 2010 officially. Yeah. Um, in so you, and you bought us in June 2007 um, in a consortium with uh, with Russell Bartlett. Um, Correct. Why was it that you came in for City um, at that point, and why did you choose City? I'm just uh, interested to know all the way back. To yeah, the that's a fair question. So I had at the time. Um, I started a media business in 1999, which I floated on the stock exchange in 2000. I ran it as a public company for six years mm-hmm. and it was time for a change. I made the mistake of buying a really good acquisition for the business that gave it income that meant the shareholders were quite keen on us focusing on that and not on uh, breaking new ground and expanding this business, which is what really excited me. So. Um, it was just a good time for me to move on. And it was about the beginning of 2006, I was introduced to Russell by a mutual acquaintance because he was looking to get a consortium together to try and buy West Ham United, being a West Ham United fan and and box holder himself. Yeah. Um, But there was a sort of coalition of three or four people and none of them had any M&A experience. So... um, I was introduced to them and we had a, we had a good run at it. Um, it was difficult because I think it was 23 million at the time Terry Brown wanted for West Ham. Yeah. Um, and we went through the process of the due diligence. We were slightly unwieldy because there were lots of people involved in this consortium. Um, Tony Cotty was our kind of uh, club insider who, who did really well for us and helped us along the way. But then the unplanned piece was that, uh, they went and got promoted at the end of 2006 season. And yeah, they did. They went up to the playoffs, didn't they, I think? Yeah, that turned the whole budget into a different matter, which we yeah. couldn't really scale to. So we tried to get other people involved, um, notably an Icelandic bank, which um, eventually obviously superseded us in the acquisition. Yeah. But um, we we sort of, I, I, I was, I'd always wanted to run a football club and I was really interested in going through that process. Um, I'd bought and sold lots of companies before, so... The actual transaction thing was very familiar to me and I ran the due diligence on the club it was a learning process that was enjoyed. So we um, then um, got in touch with um, Keith Harris at Seymour Pierce yeah. and asked um, what he knew about the landscape of clubs for sale. And he introduced us to an opportunity at Cardiff City. Mm. Uh, at the time, Sam Hammam having exited Wimbledon was the owner, but Peter Ridsdale was the chairman and running it. 
Um, and the Sam wanted to sell it. Don't think Peter was quite so keen, although he didn't have any <laughs> equity. Yeah. Um, and it was a strange thing. We could go down and sort of talk to Sam and his son and come to an agreement about how you might construct a deal. And he talked to Peter because he wanted a piece in it and he had influence over the builder who was going to develop Minion Park, which is all part of the yeah, future of that plan. Yeah, they moved to but, a new stadium soon after that, didn't they? Exactly. And that was really part of the timing of the whole thing. Yeah. But if you got them back in the same room, they more or less denied they'd ever met you. It was very hard to get a consensus. <laughs> so it was dysfunctional, really, and we, we weren't able to uh, interface. But um, so that aborted as well, um, which was kind of later in 2006. Mm. And then um, the next club that came out of the hat, if you like, on Keith Harris's Wheel of Fortune was Hull City. <laughs> Yes. And um, it just, from the absolute get-go, ticked every box because having a reasonably new stadium with an attractive lease from the council, um, having such a single share of voice in a, such a wide demographic footprint, mm. having underachieved serially, one would say, for 104 years. No, I, w- I would having... back that. As a City fan, I would back that. <laughs> having never played in the top division, having never played at Wembley, um, mm. and yet having managed to get up into the championship, finished 18th the previous season, and whilst there was a kind of potential bell curve being prescribed, it looked as if you could, you know, the club could hang on, and then um, met with Adam Pearson, talked through the upside of how the finances worked in the lower leagues with a lot of the revenue being subsidised by the non-match day revenue from the yeah. stadium, conference and banqueting facility, mm. and it just, it just, it just worked. And also, it was, it was very affordable. Yes. So, um, and and Peter Wilkinson ultimately, who was the owner, negotiated a very interesting deal so that some of the payment could be deferred. I mm. think Peter Wilkinson's loan he'd originally extended to Adam was due for repayment, so they were looking for an exit in order to get that resolved sure. um, and, and, it, and it just worked. So um, we went through, I went and lived in Leeds, did the due diligence, uh, went to all the games home and away for the end of that 2006, uh, 2007 season, sorry. So yeah. I moved yeah. up to Leeds in January, 2007. Mm. And, um, and then yes, we completed the transaction uh, in time for, uh, for June um, at the beginning of the transfer window. Cause then, um, after that, you obviously you took over as you said an attractive proposition of a club, which is what City were at the time, affordable but attractive and, and potentially you know yes, one that full of potential, on. full of potential. Yeah. What we obviously the next season we go up, don't we, through the playoffs? Yes. Now, was that your original aim, or what was your expectation? You appointed Phil Brown permanently, didn't you? That was yes. one of the first things you did. And obviously, you, you said, right, we need to bring some players in, which fair yes. play, that, that was, you know, pe- people like Caleb Furland, who I spoke to last well, week. Well, yes, the first, the first player, actually, I discovered this shining nugget of a young potential player called Dean Windus. <laughs> and um, he was the first signing that, uh, yeah. that yeah. was made. But yes, we, Caleb was a bit later. We actually played yeah. against Caleb in a cup match at Wigan, I think, and, yeah, um, did, yeah. and yeah. saw his potential there. So, um, yeah, we we um, we started sort of building a you know a, a, a quorum, mm. and it was a very busy transfer window because 
um, if you, you know, we, we had the, 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 the sort of shell of players that were there. And yeah. obviously adding a few, Brian Hughes came in. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, Caleb came in a bit later in the season. JJ um, Kopcher did and Hendrik Pedersen as well. They came in a bit later, didn't they? Correct. Yeah. Um, and Richard Garcia, of course, he was a really yes. important find was, yeah. at that point in the, in the sort of evolution. So yeah, they all they all made a real a real contribution. But you know, we still had a squad. Obviously, we had the benefit of at that point the likes of Matt and Ryan and Ash and Andy Dawson, who'd been yeah. through the whole season, journey season up until then. And, yeah, um, and then a lot of good youngsters around us. You know, so yeah, it was it was there was the expectation was clearly stated that we were hoping to try and organize the club in a way to get promoted within three years um yeah. and i think that's probably just a fairly easy default public statement that most yeah. new owners and champions i think I think, clubs make. I think you are right about that i think a lot of people have between a three and a five year plan don't they and i think yeah. that's you know say right promotion within three years it's usually something that a lot of people say but with with us i mean we, under your guys we we actually achieved it in the first season. Yeah. Was it? Do you think was it a case of maybe like we obviously we stayed up the season after, but did it like wildly exceed what you expected from? from sure. The squad? I mean, you know, it, it 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 all the successes I've had in my life and all of the successes I've witnessed and read about have all had a very large dose of luck and timing in there, sure. and I defy anybody to look back retrospectively and claim that they were hands on the wheel with a clear view down the road the whole way. You tend yeah. to be more like bolted to a wild horse and hanging on for sheer life and trying to steer it as best you can because once the momentum takes hold, mm. um, you are really the architect of your destiny to a certain extent. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but also the nice thing was there was, a, and this is not meant to sound condescending, but there was a rawness and innocence about the club, the stakeholders, mm. um, and a total willingness to get on board. I mean, I had to get used to the sort of dour East Yorkshire um, <laughs> lack of ambition when we got in. I remember we, we for the first season, um, and we had a you know we we had a couple of difficult games, and um, the natives were restless. And I was talking to Rob Smith, who's obviously been vested in the club as man and boy from Boothree Park, and all the yeah. way through sure. and I said to him so Rob how would how would they react if we won the next three games and he said oh it's very simple they'd say it'll never last yes very <laughs> pessimistic as, uh, so and I'm naturally a glass half full kind of person I really relish that I have to say I love the fact that the engagement piece of getting everybody facing in the same direction mm. once we got a bit of momentum just literally always Always look at the solution. Never look at the at the, at the, at the distractions. Um, yeah. And we had a really good bunch of people. And obviously, the relationship between Phil Brown, Brian Horton, Steve Parkin, Mark Prudhoe, Simon Maltby, yeah, um, Rushy. It was just it. It all clicked as a team, a group of personalities. And I think you now that that whole kind of working unit just had a had a momentum about it that. Um, that uh, meant there was it got to a certain stage in the season when it was 
kind of written in the stars. I mean, it was by no means inevitable till the whistle went um, at Wembley. But it yeah. was there was a there was a sort of incredible journey that we seemed to be on that was unstoppable. I think there was belief, wasn't there, especially towards the last stage of the season. Obviously, it helped bring Fraser Campbell in from Manchester mm. United in October, didn't it? Because mm. obviously, he was a, a young talent that we then tried to get on numerous occasions afterwards and never yes. got until it was... Well, no, unfortunately, he got used as a make-weight in the Berbatov deal the he next did, season yeah, and just yeah. warmed a bench at Spurs for a season, which was a real yeah. shame for his career because he then got injured at Sunderland quite early on. And it was a real shame because, you know, I, I Fraser's a... Someone I count as a good friend and a real mercurial talent. I thought, ex just a great footballer. Yeah, he, um, he, both myself and my co-host, we, we talked about our favourite players at one point in one of the podcasts. And Fraser Campbell was up there in, it was in my, my co-host Riches, but um, it was very close with mine because obviously he did, in the end, he came back to Hull City Correct. years ago. Yeah. Um, and he was, he was still loved by the fans, but he obviously loved playing the Panama Villa at one point when he was at Cardiff and nearly made us not go up the second time. <laughs> um, yes. But yeah, that he made a real difference to the squad. And then him, Dean Windus and Caleb Furlan never played together as a three, but they always had that really good working relationship where it didn't matter who they played. They did. I mean, Caleb, Caleb kind of established himself in a, often unenvied, but vital role of being the super sub yes. and um, yeah. scored a lot of goals coming off the bench. And he was, because of his, you know, Caleb is, is to his detriment in some ways, such a lovely bloke. Yeah, he's amazing. If you describe him physically and his attributes, mm. if he had the sort of edge of an Alan Shearer, he'd have yeah. been an international footballer. Um yeah. But he was almost too polite, you know, and that's a credit to him. He's just, he's one of those guys that um, absolutely smashing top class fella. Yeah. Um, I got that impression when we spoke to him on one of the episodes, to be fair. He's, he's so humble and just... He is. He's a lovely man. Yeah. yeah. Um, that playoff final then, when we did go up, um, how does that rank in your achievements in, in business and in life? <laughs> you can't. I mean, there's... I, you know, I was incredibly fortunate. And I know, again, it sounds very trite. A lot of people talk about privilege and how great it was to be part of it. And that's sort of tattooed on my back because it's just <laughs> incredible to think that actually I experienced in three seasons at Hull mm. City more than people who are in football for a lifetime get to experience and yeah. we had a lot of a lot of you know I have to say the the second leg of the playoff final at home against Watford was probably the most emotional football match I've ever attended because it was at home yes. and the reaction to that was just generationally changing I think Wembley yeah. Wembley of course was a celebration and I've, I've often commented on this before but I was just absolutely, I was aware of the weight of responsibility, if you like, of the whole previous generations of the Tiger Nation and the fact yeah. that we'd never been to Wembley before. And it, in some ways it took the pressure off us, I think, because there was a sense that just going to Wembley for the first time in a club's history was in of itself a victory. Yeah. And so it wasn't as if we'd been there and failed three times before and then the pressure mounts and... yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it was glorious and the fact that it was such a celebration and I've often referred to the, the, the fans in the stand holding pictures of their forefathers who've never been to see that day of being at Wembley 
Um, sure. And I found it an incredibly moving occasion. It was, it was, it was like a season. It was already already the best season in the club's history. Whatever happened at Wembley that day. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it, and yeah. So really, once the, once the football started, it was the whole thing was like a, a boy's own movie in slow motion. <laughs> um, obviously, we we get up the next season. This, and we, we recruit different types of players. And that mm. first half of the season was unbelievable, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, I think, I think... Marlon King, Daniel Cousin, Camille Zayate. Yeah, you know, they came Giovanni. In. Giovanni, yeah. obviously, yeah. yeah but yeah. they all they all came in. And then um, George Boateng. Yeah. You know, we, we, we got Vida Halmozy. Um, a lot of players that we added to the squad. It was funny, though, actually. Oh, Paul McShane, of course, who ended up being an enduring, yeah. um, uh, an enduring part of the, of the journey. Um, it was interesting, though, that, um, oh, and actually in the previous season, somebody that we haven't mentioned, but of course, is Wayne Brown. He was a course, massively yeah. important recruitment in our, in our promotion yeah, season. Promotion season yeah. But, but, yeah, I mean, I think, um, again, we were, you know, we were going out in the transfer market very much well, latest to the game because of when going up to the playoff final, although... It is the finest way ever to get promoted. So yeah, I'd agree with that. Better than better than winning the league, to be honest. You know, Great it's times, just yeah. amazing, which is rather unfair maybe on the league champions. But, um, yeah. but um, we cobbled together again, really, on a very limited budget. But thanks to the connections, you know, having the experience of of Brian Horton with his connections across the world of football, and he previously with managed to. Um, put the, the wheels in motion to get Fraser out of Man United. And, yeah. and, and again, obviously, he and Phil used their connections across the football industry to try and pick up best value where we could and, and to improve us where we felt we had vulnerability. But it, it was amazing that we had such a turnover of personnel after the playoff final, before mm. that first home game against Fulham. And yet we still managed to maintain the momentum, the big fear always with clubs going up, particularly because we hadn't been a yo-yo club. We didn't have a residual four or five players in the squad with Premier League experience that we could right. fire up again. We, we, we basically recruited almost a new squad in the summer of 2007. About eight players came in. We then had 11, I think, came in in the next summer window because we had to get a squad fit for Premier League football. And yeah. to do that and still manage to blend them with the experienced, long-serving members of the squad um, was a real testament to the management team because that's not easy on the pitch to do that. 